Hello and welcome to the Speech Link with Shar Boshart. Today's title is 10 Plus Techniques to Revolutionize Your IEP Meetings. As always, there will be a question and answer time following the presentation. If you have a question, please type it in the tab title questions. Following the presentation, please log into your account, take the test and then the survey in order to complete the course. Okay, welcome Shar. Some people thrive on attending meetings. <laughs> I happen not to be one of them. I sit a kid down in front of me to do therapy and I'm good. As a speech-language pathologist in SLP in the schools, I had to attend and in some cases be in charge of meetings. And when I first started, I felt like a fish out of water. But as things started rolling along, I got used to them and especially when you do dozens of them during the course of a school year. Although there's a great deal of repetition involved in doing IEPs and eligibility meetings, each one must be personalized. For the parent in most cases, it's their one and only meeting, and it's about their child, whom they care about very much. A group meeting for a parent or even some teachers can be intimidating. And we're going to talk more about this later on. But first, let's talk meeting label terminology. Because throughout the country, there's many different terms and acronyms for meetings. And they're very similar in content, of course, but the labels are different. Some school districts use the term eligibility meetings. You know, the one where you and the possibly other professionals do the testing and then you come together and share the results and make a determination if the child qualifies or not. Okay. Or there's IEPs and some people do the eligibility and the IEPs together. And the IEPs, of course, individualized education plan. Some people call it individual education program meeting. Then after you've been working with the child for a while, some people call the meetings annual reviews or three-year reviews or triannuals. And then, of course, there's RTI, response, response to intervention meetings or SST meetings, student study team meetings, or PPT, planning and placement team meetings. I know there's a bunch of others, <laughs> but here's my point. For the purposes of this podcast, I'm pretty much going to use the terms eligibility meeting, the first qualifying one, and the acronym IEP for the parent slash teacher meetings in general. And just so you know, my primary focus throughout this podcast is on the parent. In no way do I intentionally mean to ignore the presence and importance of the teachers or administrators or other special educators. But I have noticed through the years of attending school meetings with parents that unintentionally, sometimes meetings feel like sides are set, <laughs> the school personnel versus the parent. So much of today's information is focused on quelling that inappropriate situation. We have several opportunities to interact and exchange information with teachers and administrators, but we pretty much have this one shot typically for an hour or maybe more, to meet with the parent face-to-face. -face. I'm tempted to say meet with the parent face-to-face -face and present testing information and develop the IEP. Instead, I'm going to clarify that phrase, meet with the parent face-to-face -face and interact with the parent, as well as share information. There's a subtle difference. Also, regarding content and grammar of this podcast, my intent, of course, is to include all children, as well as parents and caregivers. But in the interest of brevity, I'm only going to use the terms he and him and parent. In the title, I mentioned sharing 10 techniques with you. Those 10 techniques are divided into three sections. Section one is our mindset. And under that is number one, the watchword for today. Section two has three items. Section two is called preparation. There's general organization and systematizing, preparations prior to the meeting, and the concept of teamwork. Section three has six items. Section three is called suggestions during meetings. There's the parent's initial perspective, how to develop positive perceptions, 
sharing testing results and progress results, recommendations for when the amount of therapy time is questioned, planting homework seeds, and including kids at meetings. Here we go with section one, our mindset. To begin, the watchword for our mindset is teamwork. I would highly recommend to keep this word and its meaning in the back of your mind. Yes, we are in the communication business, quotes, but more than that, we're in the relationship business. Now, eligibility and IEP meetings contain a captive audience, if you will, and we SLPs can utilize these meetings to the child's benefit and, frankly, to the parents, the teachers, and to our benefit as well. How we conduct ourselves at meetings helps to lay the foundation of perception, how others see us, and ultimately how they work with us. That's the teamwork approach. Now, I'll share a lot of information about that that you can apply right away during your meetings. But first, before we get into information on the actual meeting, I have a few preparatory suggestions. In other words, things you might consider doing prior to the meeting to make your life easier. Because much of what we do and how we do it prior to the meeting impacts the meeting. So here's section two, preparation. A huge part of being prepared is being organized and generating systems of what you do. So here's the first item called general organization and systematizing. Organize your environment so you can find everything easily and quickly. Not only does it save frustration, but it saves time. Organization of your room and your day. Do know they overlap. Your room, of course, is your physical environment. Make sure everything has its place so that you can easily access it when you need it. If you can't find something that eats into your valuable time of the things that you have to do, it takes away from your diagnostics, therapy, paperwork, even meetings, okay? And believe it or not, your day is highly dependent on how organized your environment is. Also, just sit down, brainstorm, and write what tasks you need to do and when you want to do them. Write a get-it-done timeline, a routine, so not just a to-do list, but a routine. Like when you want to send out the assessment plan, how far in advance? Or when you want to or how far in advance do you want to or need to talk about testing and scheduling of dates with the school psych or the resource specialist? When are you going to type the evaluation report? Or when do you begin typing the IEP? And I know those are all things that you have to do, but when do you want to do them? How far in advance of the due date do you want to do them? Make goals for yourself. Systematize your time and tasks. And that means schedule your therapy, yes, of course, but also your evaluations and your paperwork, your communication, and wrap them into a workload routine so that you're not just creating a therapy schedule then trying to fit everything else in haphazardly. Taking time to create a paperwork system takes time, but it pays off in the long run. The best time to do this is at the beginning of the school year. The second best time is to do it now. The thing is with a routine, it's never in stone. It's your routine. Feel free to tweak it and refine it as you apply it. Small tweaks can make big differences. And feeling like you're in charge of your time and your accomplishments is wonderful. But feeling like you're behind all the time, that's when the frustration comes in. I would also recommend to keep your to-do list and your timeline realistic. If you set your sights too high, in other words, if you list too many things that take more time than you actually have, anxiety will creep in. It'll overtake your joy and replace your productive energy. Keep your list of your tasks, and when you want to and need to do them, keep it real and doable. And you know what? It may be helpful to create a to-do week so that you can spread it out. Also, don't beat yourself up if you don't stick to it all the time. 
and you don't accomplish everything. There's always exceptions to the best laid plans. Another thing I would recommend is get into the habit of adding a daily exit routine. Okay, and this is going to vary for you. You may want to add a five minute or a 10 minute or a 15 minute exit routine. But I would recommend to make that amount of time uninterrupted minutes. Okay, if you have to close the door, if you have one and put up a sign, unavailable, talk to you later. Okay, and during those five or 10 or 15 minutes, whatever you choose, one thing I would recommend doing is quickly putting everything away. See how fast you can do it. See how fast you can file your papers, your therapy materials, and put your games and your tools away. Put your tests away in their places, you know, if you don't do that throughout the day. I know I kind of did sort of a combination of every once in a while I put something away during the day, but I didn't want to take away from my therapy minutes for my kids. Also during this exit routine time, um, you might want to write your to-do list for tomorrow. What needs to be done? Observe a specific child, begin typing the IEP, finish the evaluation report. And by the way, there's nothing that says that you have to write an evaluation report in one sitting from beginning to end. You can segment it, okay? Maybe on your list, you would put to call a specific parent or email a parent. Um, Maybe plan a particular meeting with a teacher, doing collaboration and so on. Thing is, if you wait to write it tomorrow, it will take time away from your day and you may not remember everything, okay? Because when you come in the next morning, not only will everything be needed in its place, but you will have your tasks at hand and you can hit the ground running. Force yourself to establish this, quotes, 10-minute daily exit routine. It really is helpful. A couple of other things I want to throw in here that might be helpful and beneficial. Um, When typing reports, you might consider having a cheat sheet. Maybe you already do this, but put it on another page in your computer and just pull it up, have access to it, and have phrases and sentences that you use frequently so that as you're typing the report or whatever, copy and paste them into that report. Obviously, you would change the content to for the new child, but it certainly saves a lot of time. Also, consider using either an electronic device or a physical clipboard that you carry everywhere you go. Now, when I was in the schools, I used a clipboard, okay? And on that clipboard, you add your important papers, like your therapy schedule or maybe the school schedule. You know, if you have five lunches in your, in your school, you have your schedule there. And most importantly, include a calendar. You know, like, for example, go to calendar-12.com, calendar-12.com, and print out the months. And so if somebody stops you in the hall or you stop them, you have your schedule on hand. And you can look up the dates and confirm appointments immediately. You don't have to go back to your room and email them and so on. You can do it right on the spot. Um, Also, I would recommend having on that clipboard, maybe a few pieces of blank paper so that you have an ongoing list of things to remember and do when you talk with teachers in the hall or in their classroom, okay, so that you can keep track of what they said to you and what you said to them and tasks that you need to do. Um, Include any forms or anything else on there that might be handy for you. Uh, I kept it in my room. I kept it on top of a bookcase by my therapy room door and Every time I left, I grabbed it. Boy, that saved me a lot of time. Okay, let's move into preparations prior to the meeting. Of course, you want to do your legwork prior to the meeting and prior to scheduling the meeting. Now, I'm not talking about paperwork and, you know, what you do and the timeline and all of that. I'm referring in this section to personal interactions. So let's begin with communicating with the parent. I recommend, and honestly, I didn't, I wasn't always able to do this, meaning I ran out of time or I didn't schedule myself well, okay? But it is best to communicate with the parent prior to the eligibility meeting, either in person if possible, you know, grab them in the parking lot or whatever, uh, face-to-face or on the phone. They get acquainted with you as a person, okay? 
and you get to know them as well, as well as gleaning a lot of information about the child that you'll probably need to know. In that conversation, I would add something to the effect of, quotes, from your perspective, how is your child's communication? You know, fill in the blank here, speech, language, blah, blah, blah. And what do you see and hear or what do you think about that? Also ask them, could you give me an example? Also in regards to dates and the meeting, that's a really good time to kind of begin to figure that out. Say, I have such and such a date and time in mind for the meeting. How would that work for you? Or give them a choice of dates to choose from. Also, during this conversation, say something like, oh, I really want you at the meeting. You are an important team member. Plant that seed, team member. Also in that conversation, acknowledge the parent as their child's long-term loving and caring parent. Okay, meaning that we acknowledge them as a very important person on this team because they know their child. Plant that seed as well prior to the meeting. And as a little caveat here, as a follow-up at the meeting, somewhere toward the beginning, after everyone's introduced themselves, etc., say, Mrs. Jones, I thought about what you said on the phone Would you mind sharing what you said? I thought that was so insightful. You know, obviously, if that's appropriate. Right there, she perceives that she is a valuable member of the team. You and the teacher may jump in and and validate what she said or, oh my gosh, he does that at home? Well, here's what he does in my class. Also, for expediency in regards to the teacher, put a note in the teacher's box. You might want to write something like, Dear Mrs. Smith, I need to hear from you about the child's strengths, weaknesses, and test scores by this date. If you just leave it open, you might get it next week or they may forget. But always put a due date or when you would like to receive that information from them. And the third item under preparations is a little bit of expansion on the concept of teamwork. We've talked a little bit, but here's a little more. Prepare as effectively as you can, knowing that that also means communication with others in print, in person, phone, text, email, etc. This is literally the implementation of teamwork. The thing is, teamwork is an ongoing process and it doesn't just occur during the meeting itself or even prior. After the child is in therapy, send the parent a quick email once in a while. We SLPs have no magic wand to wave and instantaneously remediate speech and language delays and disorders. We all need allies and supporters at school, in the classroom, and at home. Parents can influence the child's attitude towards speech and language services, as well as the importance and compliance of speech-language homework. The benefits of the teamwork mentality reaches way beyond the meeting itself. Keep in mind, meetings equal information gathering and sharing, but also meetings are for seed planting, and a really big seed to plant is teamwork. That speech and language child may be with you or in the program for a year or many years. Keep watering that seed along the way. So, The main takeaways for sections one and two are to maintain a mindset of teamwork and do what you need to do and what you want to do to fulfill that goal, Um, as well as double check your organization, the organization and efficiency of your physical environment, as well as taking time to focus and write down the tasks that need to be done, and then determine your timeline objectives for those tasks like for getting the paperwork uh, accomplished in a timely manner, collaborating with teachers, student observations, etc. Also, perhaps adding a daily exit routine where you use a designated uninterrupted 15 minutes or so to wrap up your day and prepare for tomorrow. And then also perhaps adding um, a phrases and sentences check sheet to your reports and a clipboard to your daily rounds in the school. 
And last but not least, taking a good look at what you do and what you would like to do prior to your eligibility meetings, such as directly communicating with the parent. Let's shift gears and move into section three, suggestions during meetings. Now, this section has six parts. And if you're taking notes, here are the six parts. The parent's initial perspective, how to develop positive perceptions, sharing testing results and progress results, recommendations for when the amount of therapy time is questioned, planting homework seeds, and including kids at meetings. Here we go. The parent's initial perspective. Put yourself in the place of the parents, especially at their first meeting, the eligibility meeting. Some parents, if they are new and new to you in the process, they may feel overwhelmed, a sense of distrust and skepticism, disbelief about the accuracy of the test results, conclusions, and recommendations, concern for their child's welfare academically and socially, perhaps a sense of inferiority and inadequacy and sometimes guilt, which may result in denial or, at the opposite end of things, tears. Have tissues handy. In this internet and social media age, you never know what the incoming parents have read or who they've talked with. They may enter with a negative, us-against-them attitude. And even the most positive of parents may come to the meeting with the purpose of determining your qualifications, your credibility, and if you are someone they want their child to work with. Believe me, <laughs> until we get past these, there's no teamwork. There's just you work. Now, can these characteristics be overcome? And certainly, you know, not every parent feels this way. But I'm going to say, yes, in most cases, um, things can be turned around. In the previous section, we discussed the things you can do prior to the meeting. And the most important one is contacting and communicating with the parent. That conversation can go a long way to inform you about the child and also help assuage concerns the parents might have. Something else. A few years ago, I taught full-time at a university in Southern California, and I was in charge of the clinic as well. We had a lot of children come through and, and a few adults as well. And we sat down, did a case history, and discussed the child or the case. Let's just say the child. The following piece of advice that I'm going to share with you has stayed with me all these years, and I've put it to the test <laughs> all these years. Parents want to share with you about their child. They want to verbalize what the problem is from their view as they see it, what they have done about it, and what they want for their child. It's like they need to share. So open the door for them to do that. I started the meeting at that time with two open-ended questions. What do you see happening with your child? And what can I do for you? They opened up and shared what they wanted and needed to share. And every time I did that, the meeting went much better than if I asked a few specific questions and then told them what we were going to do. Bottom line, listen to them. When we do that, they are more apt to listen to us. Let's move on to the second item in Section 3. How to develop positive perceptions of parents and teachers during the meeting. Let's face it, parents and teachers will not remember everything that was said at the meetings. <sighs> I won't either, for that matter. Most of us, including parents, will remember a few important points. Most, however, will remember the impressions that were made at the meeting. 
Impressions include their initial perception of you. This initial perception will have a lot to do with the success of future parent interactions, including any homework support. The parents will remember the following, your demeanor or outward behavior, your warmth, how you verbally and non-verbally interact with them, your professionalism, the manner you present the information, not necessarily what you present. Now, I'm not saying that isn't important, but the manner is very important as well. And how you interact with the other professionals in the group and how they interact with you. Because we all attend a gazillion meetings, it's so easy to slip into a standard routine. The following things that I'm going to share with you are logical, rather subconscious principles that you no doubt already know and adhere to, but sometimes it's just good to review and think about them. Here's the first one. Make face-to-face eye contact. As you share your information, if the parent isn't looking at you, wait a couple beats for them to make eye contact. Go around the table, of course, speaking to everyone present, including the child if he or she is there, but always come back to the parent. They are the primary recipients of your results and recommendations. Smile with your eyes. Here's the second one. Emotionally connect with the parents, not just cognitively. Now we're walking a tightrope here. No matter the meeting type, we are there to share information, the cognitive piece. Keep an eye on the parent to see if she is understanding your information. Simplify your words. Give examples if necessary. Explain the acronyms. Don't forget those. And observe how they're emotionally interpreting it. Now, sometimes parents are hard to read. So you may want to ask, does this make sense to you? Do you see this in your child at home? And I'm not suggesting to be condescending in any way. No condescension here. Just be clear in your meaning. And I know sometimes we view our part in meetings as our time to, quotes present. But I recommend that you view those times as an opportunity to interact with the parents and establish a connection to work toward building teamwork. The third item, personality and communication. Hit a happy medium. Avoid extremes. At one end, obviously, avoid being patronizing. At the other end, avoid being their best friend. I looked up the word patronizing. It means, quotes, to treat with an apparent kindness, which betrays a feeling of superiority. Ooh, don't you just hate that? Also, joking around can help lighten the atmosphere, but too many jokes can just come across as a distraction. Present yourself as someone you would like and trust. The next item, stay centered and focused on the child. A few years ago when I started my business, Speech Dynamics, I read a book called Business Think. The author cited several rules, and the first rule in chapter one was check your ego at the door. Ego has no place in business or in education or in therapy and definitely not in school meetings. You've probably attended meetings where one of the professionals had a, quotes, I problem. I have this amount of education from this prestigious institution. I personally wrote this. I've worked with. Not I did this with your child, and here's how he responded, and here's what it means. You always got to slip the child in there. In a school I worked at, during several eligibility meetings, one of the professionals displayed his very long written report on the smart board screen and proceeded to read it to us. I'm totally serious. With his back to the group, 
for many, many minutes. Oh, yeah. In addition to being rude and boring, it was meaningless and ego-driven. The content was all about him, his knowledge, and the kids' scores. Very little interpretation or personalization about the child was provided. The parents complained, and rightly so. We all kind of complained, too. Parents are there for their child, not to see how smart we all are. Granted, establishing credibility is important, but an inflated ego negates credibility. The next item, put parents' minds at ease. Here's something that you can say that might help put their mind at ease. Quotes, I've worked with several children that remind me of your son. In fact, I remember this one child. He worked really hard on his blah, 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 his blank. And fortunately, he too had good parent support at home. And within one year, or you could say within a short length of time or within a few months, he was able to blank. I was so proud of him. I think there's a good possibility that can happen with your child as well. Now, every child is different, but if we all work together, I think that we can all accomplish that. Mm -hmm. Always keeping in the back of your mind teamwork. The next item, if you get a sense of hesitancy or concern or even confusion from the parent, you may want to share your therapy philosophy with her. Here are some ideas to help you zero in and narrow down. I've got five suggestions here. Here we go. Look directly at the parent and say, your child and his speech slash language improvement is very important to me. Good speech is important in communication for everyone at school and at home. How you say your speech sounds can impact reading, writing, how you sound out your words, and how you pronounce new words. Research suggests that you have to be able to pronounce the word in order to use it correctly and consistently. The second item, quotes, good speech and language helps to improve self-concept, confidence, and be more successful in school and socially with family and friends. The third item is pretty much for language, your language kids. And this one was shared by a very astute SLP at one of my seminars, and I thank her for it, and I am so sorry I don't remember her name. But she said, and I love this phrase, language is the method of instruction. So if you have a parent that says, what in the world is this language therapy? That is such a great informative response. Language is the method of instruction. It's everything. It's speaking, reading, and writing. Everybody uses language. And what you learn in language therapy will help in other language areas as well. The next item is just for speech. Speaking to the child. And if the child is there, we're going to be talking about that here in a few minutes. But speaking to the child, your mouth forms your speech sounds. Therefore, we're going to improve your mouth and its ability to say blah, 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 speech sounds. Your mouth is having difficulty, so let's work on it together, okay? And speaking to the child, here's another one. Here's what I believe and what I share with all my students. When you work, I work. When I see you trying hard, I will do anything and everything I can do to help you. For you to be successful or to improve means we both have to do our best to improve your speech and language. And here's what that means. And of course, you know, you might say something different and, you know, personalize it. But, you know, you might say something to the child like, well, that means coming to speech on time, every time, on time, and coming to speech to learn and improve. And also, you know what, there may be some speech homework along the way. And I ask you to do it five minutes a day. Do you think you can do that? Oh yeah, that's a piece of cake. And that extra practice puts your progress over the top. Okay, that's all of those in that list. We're going to move on to number three. Specifically, here are some thoughts on 
sharing testing and or progress results. The nice thing about sharing information about speech and language is that everybody talks, okay? Everybody communicates. Everybody can relate. Everyone, including parents, has a mouth, okay? Everybody makes speech sounds and everybody uses verbalizations to communicate. Use the parent's own communication as an example. When talking about speech sounds, turn the parent's attention to their own mouth, i.e. how they place and contour their tongue to formulate speech. So for example, ask the parent or ask everybody in the group to close their eyes and count from 1 to 10 out loud and notice the sides of their tongue and what the sides of their tongue are touching. This obviously emphasizes lateral margin stabilization during speaking. And if you're not sure what that is, that's the way that our tongue stabilizes and holds on while the front part of the tongue lifts and does front tongue vertical sounds and while the back part of the tongue lifts and does back tongue sounds. So you have your front tongue sounds, t, t, n, s, z, sh, j, and your ol, your l, and then you've got your back tongue sounds, of course, k, g, n, r. So speech sounds are vertical, and the tongue has to have an anchorage while the other part of the tongue is moving, and that is your lateral margin stabilization. So you can talk about that in the meeting. Now, if you do want more information on that, I've got a blog. It's actually Therapy Matters number 7, February 20, 2018, and it's called Speaking Tongues Are Actively Braced. Okay, back to the example. Okay, say to to everybody there, yes, everybody here touched the sides of their teeth while talking. Hmm, Johnny doesn't do that. Johnny's tongue is in the middle of his mouth and it's moving horizontally. The front part is not moving vertically. The back part is not moving vertically appropriately. And the tongue is not up within that dental arch area up there where the top teeth live. And holding on. His tongue is not doing that. That's one important thing that we will be working on. Guess what? The parents are going to remember that. And that's an easy way to explain it. Use their own mouth. A few other things here. Give examples of the child's Arctic errors. Ask the parents to say, to focus and feel on their own mouth, the contrasting good or desirable speech sounds and the ones that their child is doing. Now, if there's a lot of speech errors, just provide a couple core examples. The parents, you know, don't need the whole enchilada and they won't remember it. (laughs) You just need that impression of what's going on inside their mouth or what's not going on. For language kids, give examples of the child's language answers from the test and share a simple interpretation. You don't have to do them all. Just some of the primary examples. Um, You might want to say something like this, quote, Maria's vocabulary is not up to what other children her age use. Her use of more simple words can restrict her full expression of what she wants to say, as well as impact her reading comprehension and her writing, etc. Also, as you're giving these test results, you might want to have access to a bell curve visual graphic, okay, so that you can kind of show where their child is on the bell curve. Just Google bell curve graph, um, or even there's a bunch of them on Pinterest. Show where their child's score is in relationship to other children. It's a visual. They'll remember it better. Here's another example. Quotes, when saying a question, Michael makes a statement such as blah, blah, blah. Being able to form a question is really important, not only when talking with other people and when we ask a question in class, but also when we're thinking in our mind. We're carrying on a conversation with ourselves, okay? It's internal conversation. And just think of it. We all ask ourselves questions throughout the day. That is how we make decisions. So we're going to be working on questions with your child. Also, here's another one. Quotes. Noah has great difficulty organizing what he wants to say. Here's an example. 
or, you know, the child has great difficulty putting his words in order. Here's an example. You know, we can use the word syntax, but they're probably not going to understand. Now, grammar, okay, and you say, oh, the child omits is, or the child is having difficulty with plurals, or whatever. You can give examples of those, and they're more apt to remember them. Also, as the child is in therapy and improves, these are tangible, simple language concepts that the parent will be able to reinforce at home. So you're planting seeds. Let the parent know that you'll be in touch, and you'll specify the language concept that you're working on and that they can reinforce at home. Present the child's relevant information in an organized, sequential manner, and keep it as short as you can. And I'm not talking like two minutes short, but at least 10 minutes short, okay? Use personal and parent examples and visuals as much as you can. Those will probably be the specifics they'll remember. And also keep in mind, you don't have to tell them everything. Number four, and here are some thoughts when the recommended amount of therapy time is questioned. Got some quotes here. Consider saying, quote, the speech language instruction is targeted to your child's specific needs. We focus on the quality and intensity of instruction, not always the quantity of instruction. Or here's another one, quotes, the instruction groups are small, and our time together is intensive and targeted on your child and the objectives. Or, here's another one. Pull-out instruction time is important, but so is the amount of in-class time. And I only want to pull out your child the time that he needs. Also, and this may be another opportunity to bring in the teamwork concept. Quotes. Everyone pulls in the same direction. The child, the teacher or teachers, the parent or parents, and other specialists. It's important that we all do our part. Asking the child to do extra speech and or language homework or practice can be beneficial. The child is getting the extra practice or rehearsal of whatever he needs and yet is not being pulled out of class. So that could be a point that you emphasize as well. Number five, this point details more on planting homework seeds. Enlist parent support when you're asking the child to do speech homework and or language homework. Be direct in letting the parent know that you're going to be sending home homework. And regarding the terminology, the term homework is obviously well known. Sometimes, though, it can be misconstrued. So sometimes I call homework speech practice or speech rehearsal even. Years ago, I came up with the term rehearsal when I was doing some reader's theater kinds of activities with kids, and they would go home and rehearse their parts and then come back to school and perform them. And I have never had kids practice so much in my life. So I started using, with some of my kids, the term rehearsal. And it's just a shift in mindset is all I can come up with. They need to rehearse and then come back into therapy and perform what they did. And sometimes change of terminology can be beneficial. Also, something that you might want to say during the meeting is, quote, speech, language improvement, and change does not happen overnight. It happens through repeated rehearsal and practice with the efforts of everyone on the team. So in other words, you're asking for that parent's support at home. This is an excellent time to share two or three things that you will have the child do or work toward in therapy. So be prepared. Bring those materials with you into the meeting so that you can share them. So what I'm suggesting here is that you lay your foundation for homework support at the meeting. Explain to them how progress is made when we all pull in the same direction. Ask for their help and involvement. Ask. Do not just assume that they will help. The thing is, many of them, even the parents that want to help, have no idea what that means and what it looks like or what they need to do and how long it takes or even 
the benefits of doing extra practice at home. So share that information with them. Um, here's a few things that you might want to stress and mention at the meeting. Your child will improve more and more quickly with extra practice and, frankly, with your support. I'll send it home in this folder so you have it there. Or I will email it to you and you get their address. During therapy, I'll show your child exactly what to do. So when your child comes in to do the homework, say, what is it that Mrs. Beauchart asked you to do? Show me the task. Show me the activity. Tell the parent that most tasks are easy, but some are challenging. And reassure them that there are, if there are any extra instructions, that you'll include those instructions for them. Say, please help your child to work through them. And then give them a hug. <laughs> Here's another one. Homework time is minimal. And I really suggest this with speech kids and language kids. Give them no more than five minutes, seven minutes max of things to do for speech homework. Um, I've even had for some of my Arctic kids, like maybe three minutes. Just reassure them that it doesn't take long. And I usually emphasize it needs to be done one time per day, at least. If they can do it two times, like once in the morning, once in the evening, that's wonderful. But sometimes, you know, I'm just happy with one time. Also, let them know speech and language homework can be done almost anywhere. The ideal is at home, you know, at the kitchen table, you know, but it would be really nice to do the speech rehearsal and extra practice in the homework in the same place as their other school homework. Um, consider taking a break from doing their reading homework or their math homework or their social studies homework and add some speech or language practice in between and let them know that you're always available if they have questions. You can contact me here. You know, give them the school phone number and your email. Um, I don't know. You might want to get your text number, but that's up to you. Um, I would probably counsel against that, but that's up to you. And of course, you know, get their preferred contact information. And lastly, um, in this part, let them know that you're going to be keeping track of what homework is done and not done and how the child does. So in effect, you're holding that child accountable. And indirectly, you're holding the parents accountable as well. And number six, here in section three, kids at meetings. Is that a good thing to do or not? I have a question for you. Should the child be included at the eligibility slash IEP meetings? What do you think? I submit to you, this is my personal opinion, that kids at meetings can be beneficial. And it depends on the meeting and it depends on the child. No doubt you have your own philosophy about including or excluding children at meetings. But here's my personal take. I am a proponent of including the child at speech sound articulation meetings, at the eligibility meeting and IEPs. I also support including language kids at IEP meetings, especially when their progress is shared. I do have mixed feelings about a language child attending the eligibility meeting. It, it depends on the child's age, the capability level, um, the level of severity of their test results, etc. Given the in-depth and involved nature of our language test results and the psych test results, etc., sometimes it's just best for the child not to be there at that one. Now, alternatively, for a language child, you might consider bringing him in perhaps toward the end of the meeting once the test results and decisions have been made. Let him see and witness and be involved in the caring individuals seated around the table that are there just for him. Share any changes in his instruction. State and explain the goals, etc. Include him in the signing of the document. 
let him know that he's a very important part of the team and that this extra and very select type of instruction is beneficial for him. He needs to see it and feel it. This is an important part of generating leverage when you get the child into therapy. Leverage, which is deeper than motivation, is an important part of the impetus for the child to work, improve, and change his speech and or language. Now, when a child is included in the meeting, you have an opportunity to inform the child, and here's a few items, why the meeting is taking place, it's in his honor, about his test results, within reason, include what is helpful and prudent, okay? Um, Tell the child about the importance of his education and the focus on his learning, about specific changes, anything that's changing in his instruction, and what will be expected of him. For example, he'll be expected to attend all instruction sessions, do his speech-language homework, do his best to improve. It helps for the parent to see you in action with their child, being friendly, caring, patient, and someone who speaks to the child as an important team member and uses understandable language. Parents want to know that, yes, that you are qualified, but also, does their child like you? They weigh and watch your competency and your personal interactions. Mm -hmm. Bottom line, make sure your decision to include or exclude the child is on a case-by-case basis. That's my recommendation. A good rule of thumb is to include him when it's beneficial for the child. It's all about the kids that we work with, isn't it? All the best to you, and thanks for listening. Go get them. Thank you, Shar. Please hang on while she changes phone lines so that she can answer your questions. In the meantime, if you have a question, please type it in the tab title questions. And remember that following this presentation, please log into your account, take the test, and then the survey in order to complete the course. Okay, can you hear me, Shar?